0: Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. Welcome to week 15. Officially, the jam-packed show for you today. I would say we're starting out week 15 in style, but you look at that Chargers-Raiders game on the schedule. I don't know about style, but a football game will be played tonight. We will get to that. Also, NFL owners meetings taking place in Dallas, Texas on Wednesday. Plenty of non-football news coming out of Wednesday afternoon. got all kinds of stuff to get to, whether it's expanding the international series, whether it's potential rule changes. Leave it to the NFL to create an entirely separate news cycle outside of the season that is going on. So much to get to. We will do that. But as usual on our Thursday show, we always make sure to check in with our good buddy, Peter Schrager. It is our weekly cheat sheet with Peter Schrager, presented by Honda. Love this conversation. Had a chance to catch up with Peter about a variety of things. None more important than what's happening in his home base, New York City. Maybe you've heard about the goings-on there, the, the resurgence of Zach Wilson, and obviously this continued underdog superstar story of Tommy DeVito. We got into all of that with Peter Schrager this week. I really enjoyed this conversation. All right, Peter, I would want to talk about Tommy DeVito even if you didn't manage to get his agent as a guest on your podcast this week. I just I mean, it it, it seems like we've had several of these like mini stories of the of the month if you will. Like it was it was Tyson Bagent for a minute there, but <laughs> it, it, this feels this does feel like a different level though. Like to be to be on a 3 game winning streak in that market the Italian thing. I mean, did you see the giants announced him as NFC player of the week with a Sopranos reference this morning? Like it's just, it's all too, it's all too good, man. What do you make of it?
1: Woke up this morning. That's how they (laughs) had it. uh, And won myself an NFC player of the week. Uh, We're recording this, you and me on a, on a Wednesday. This was on the cover of the New York post. It said, good fella. And on the back of the New York post said like, yeah, you know, I think it was like Asta la vista, vi- something like, you know, I don't even know the pun, but I don't remember maybe since Eli won a Super Bowl that the Giants were on the front and back page of the New York Post and that's with Biden and that's with uh, whatever else we've got going on in the world. Like it, it, it's in that big of a sensation. We're in a shirt right now, New York or nowhere. Uh, it, it, between Zach Wilson being the AFC player of the week and and Tommy DeVito being the NFC Player of the Week. Meanwhile, both these teams are five and eight, like going nowhere. <laughs> like let's be honest, like the Giants can dream a dream, but it, it's probably not happening. But it's been a really cool sensation. And ask me whatever you want on DeVito. I've got the, I've got all the the four one one on that guy. I have uh, done a, as many deep dives as you can imagine. And this goes back to even when he made the team back in August.
0: Okay. Let's I mean, let's first of all, I want to talk about the guy that, that you had on your show. That would yeah. be his agent, Ston, Sean Stallone. We can talk about DeVito, too. But this guy, he took Twitter by storm on Monday night with the outfit that he was wearing for the Giants win against Green Bay. I'll start with this first. I mean, I just I want to know a little bit more about the guy. But you are you are an appreciator of the arts. You are a fan of movies. You Have you seen The Bear? Yeah, love The Bear. When you, when they make this movie with Mark Wahlberg inevitably playing Tommy DeVito, like I see Jeremy Allen White playing the role of Sean Stolato, Like that's I all that. I can, that's all what I can a compliment.
1: What a compliment. You have got you've got Carm, uh, the actor who plays Carm playing it. Um, that's great. I don't know. Do, do you get uh, I think his name is Eben Moss Bacharach, who plays Cousin Richie? Do you get him to play uh, one of the, yeah. maybe the Daniel Jones role if you want bring uh,
0: everybody yeah. along
1: for sure? That's it. All right, Sean Stellato. I've known him over a decade. I've been you know working as an NFL insider, you know, all the agents, and a lot of the agents represent. You know, first overall draft picks, and have two, you know, they send out press releases from the agency that we represented 12 draft picks this year. And you can name them, whether it's Todd France, who does Dak, to the Joel Siegel types, to Drew Rosenhaus, to Nicole Lynn, to David Mugaletta, to all these guys and gals now. Um, there, it, it is, it is a, a top heavy industry. And then you've got this other group of agents who, in many cases, have one or two clients in the NFL or have one draft prospect throughout the entire draft process will be hitting me up and saying, Hey, I know he wasn't invited to the combine. And I know he wasn't invited to the senior ball, And I know he wasn't invited to any pro days, but would you mind doing a little research on my guy? Because I think he might be a seventh round pick and it would go a long way for not only the family, but for me to at least mention this guy's name and maybe put him on the radar. And a lot of times it's, I appreciate the, the, I I've got to stay with what's actually going to happen in the league and who's going to get picked. Sean Stellato, has represented back of the roster guys for the last decade, and a lot of these guys are undrafted or, in his case, he he lives up in Boston. So what it is is, if a guy's with the Patriots and he's a end of the roster guy in the Patriots, and he's got another agent or he doesn't have an agent, you would often find him having a bunch of those guys on the Patriots, and they would end up, uh, you know, making big plays and big games, and then sure enough, I'd get a text from Sean Stellato saying, "Hey, did you see my guy, my guy X or my guy Y?" and I always appreciated him cuz he would come to the senior bowl every year in Mobile, Alabama and he's dressed like you saw him on Monday night. He is dressed the Amazing. night in Mobile, Alabama. Like my cousin, Vinny, like completely uh, dressed to the nines in in a, in a custom tailored suit and an incredible fedora. And you're like, this guy's a character. And you speak with him. His story's actually interesting. Yes, he was in the memes. And yes, Peyton and Eli were like, get this you know, Johnny Fontaine off the camera, whatever it is. He played at Marist, played two years in Arena League, played professional football in the Arena League, like a legitimate player and then pivoted from being an arena league player to being a player agent and has built this company up. And it's 10 years he's been an agent. I think 18 years he's been an agent, 10 years he's had this company. And they've had Super Bowl winners and they've had clients in the past. And then the stars align and he links up with his other Italian-American, this this, this guy, Tommy DeVito, who played at Syracuse and in Illinois and might've been a day three prospect. And decides he's going to devote all his energy into Tommy DeVito. Now, what's interesting about DeVito is, I don't know if, if another agent would have played it this way, but DeVito got offers from from multiple teams, but the Commanders and the Giants were the two final teams. And you know, a lot of times with these undrafted guys, it's a scramble; just take the most money or just go. To it. And because DeVito was, you know, Stelato's main attraction in this thing. He treated it like it was a free agent signing that you would have for a guy looking for a big second contract in the league and was like, let's weigh out the pros and the cons. Let's not just sign somewhere and go to camp. And it was Washington or the Giants. And he looked at the the landscape and he said, hometown team, Brian Dable, who has a history of working with Tua at Alabama, Jalen Hurts at Alabama, Tom Brady with the Patriots, and of course, Josh Allen and then Daniel Jones last year. Let's get the best coaching we possibly can get and hands-on experience from a guy who's going to work with you hands-on. And also the hometown deal where he played high school football 10 miles away from the stadium and grew up 10 miles from the stadium where they looked at this as like a very measured decision. So they signed with the giants. One thing happens. They make the, they make the squad. I say they, the veto makes the squad. Daniel Jones goes down. Tyrod goes down. Suddenly he's in certain thing. And not only has it been a sensation on the field, but they have maximized and squeezed every last penny off the field. And Stellato does it all. So uh, there's been a lot of disdain for him and that an agent shouldn't be in the spotlight. Why are you talking about the agent for the player? I think it's a cool story. The stars aligned. And like, if ever there was a player and a family that was meant to be with Sean Stellato, it was Tommy DeVito. I just hope he stays with him now that he's a big star in New York.
0: That is that is part of the challenge. I mean, I hope so too, because it's a great story. But you, I mean, you see these guys when they reach that level, they often are like, "All right, let's go get one of these these firms, these yes. these big ones that that handle all of the clients." So, I mean, it, it's a better story. And I, you said you said they. I think I think that's totally fair. Like when you identify a guy that's that's worth riding with, and you and you have this happen, it's obviously about Tommy DeVito. But I mean that. That can put you on the map. I think that's a huge, huge deal.
1: Uh, I I had Sean on my podcast, which you can listen to. It's the season with Peter Schrager. And one of the things that I asked him was like, all right, that look, it made a lot of news, but like, I've seen you and you've got, you've got red suits. He's worn. I tweeted it. I've seen him in a red head to toe pinstripe suit with a black, white and red uh, fedora hat. And that was at like an NFL game. You don't see that every day. So I asked him, like, tell me about your decision for wardrobe and what do you got next? Now that maybe we got some more riches involved as you know, the cover boy in the New York Post. And Sean was like, you know, my wife and I, they've got a family, the whole thing is like, we've got multiple closets. I personally have two closets. One of them is cedar. And that has all my custom suits, thirty custom suits that he has he has had to made to his body type. And he's like, I got another huge walk-in closet, which is my leisure wear. And I'm like, this guy, you can't make it up, dude. He's oh my god! One. So, I mean- so I don't know how he is at negotiating a contract, and I don't know how he is recruiting a <laughs> client. But you're talking about. Many stories, and whether it was like you said Tyson Bajant. and then I thought we had a nice little run with Josh Dobbs. You know, we had a Christina Pink sit down with Josh Dobbs, which to me is like, all right, we've made it. We got the Fox NFL sit down, and now we've got the Veto, and who knows? We still got four weeks left. Maybe there's another story waiting for us.
0: Just, yeah, the the season of lightning in a bottle definitely <laughs> seems fair. Giants play at the Eagles on Christmas Day in a 4.30 Eastern kickoff. I can only imagine the fit the fit that he's going to bring to that. Okay, let's talk about DeVito for a minute, though. And it's a cool story, local kid. All of that stuff is really cool and all. And, and I'm not trying to get you to predict whether or not the Giants make a run at the playoffs. But the big picture is really interesting for Tommy DeVito to me, regardless of what happens from here, because Daniel Jones is hurt and the Giants are slowly but surely playing their way out of that Caleb Williams sort of range. I mean, it seems like Tommy DeVito is securing himself at bare minimum a chance to be the Giants backup quarterback for potentially like a pretty long time.
1: I think it's fair. He's he's making next to nothing as an undrafted rookie free agent. Um and I and and I would think it's interesting that, you know, in most cases there's always this two-pronged thing when a, a bad team wins a couple of games at the end where the fans are like, "Yeah, but." And I was here when the Jets were the worst team in football and then with Trevor Lawrence sitting there at the draft, they beat the Rams in an inexplicable game. It was just one win, but it, it made sure that the Jaguars got the first pick and the Jets got the second. The Jags get Trevor Lawrence. The Jets get Zach Wilson. History's changed, right? So you look at it. This is the rare instance with the local story and like the amount of momentum and the fun that this market and this fan base is having with DeVito where like, I don't think anyone is rooting against the Giants as Giants fans. No one's even thinking the draft. are like, let's just ride this out and enjoy this moment. But I think they played themselves out of at least Caleb Williams and Drake May. Now maybe there's another quarterback, JJ McCarthy from Michigan or Daniel's the Heisman Trophy winner or Bone whoever it is. And maybe they get the fourth or fifth quarterback in the draft, but this isn't the Caleb Williams territory. That's that's for a different group of teams and you know, they play the Eagles twice more and they play the Saints and they play uh you know, a schedule that like they could either A makes some ridiculous wild card run or be completely upset the apple cart for a lot of yeah. these teams. Like a win against the saints crushes the saints this week in new Orleans. And then gosh, could you imagine with the way the Cowboys and Eagles are neck and neck if the giants came and knocked off the Eagles even one time. Uh, so I, I don't think they're worried about quarterback. And I think if DeVito continues to play this way, of course he'll be in contention to to get a contract from the giants.
0: They play the Rams in between those Eagles games too. So literally Four games, four opportunities to just completely ruin everything for everyone in the NFC. I can't wait to see where it goes. All right, slipping over to the AFC. I I wasn't sure what to do with this just because it, it was it was a very hyper-specific local report. You're not seeing a lot of noise about it. And then Bill Belichick is asked directly about the noise that the Patriots have already decided to part ways with him. It was, it was Tom Curran in the new England market that initially made the report that this is done. This is decided. And I just love how everything comes full circle because almost a decade ago, the Patriots were coming off of a blowout loss to the chiefs when Bill Belichick said, we're on to Cincinnati. And now here in 2023, it's we're focused on, or we're getting ready for Kansas city.
1: Yeah, um, a couple markets out there where there's like guys in the market or gals in the market that you just you don't know, question, and it's just like, well, if they said it, then there's there's something to it. There's a lot of who we. I don't mess with Tom Curran reports. Um, so he has been in New England since before Belichick, and he is one of the best at what he does. So when he talks, I listen. There's nothing I can say to further the story. I know that there are a lot of assistant coaches on that team that I have spoken to over the last recent month or so, and they're all very close to the fest, like you would imagine in New England they are. Um, but those coaches obviously have lives and families and all stuff, And they're just kind of asking me, what are you hearing? Obviously, we're curious what you're hearing. So I don't think this is something that's made the waves around the Patriots. Like I don't think Belichick has sat down his – coaching staff or the players I and mean, be like guys this is my last four games as a new england patriots coach so why don't we start like I, I think it's i think the people that know are mr Kraft, his son jonathan bill belichick and in this case maybe a few others in an inner circle and if tom Curran's reporting it i'm not doubting it i just have nowhere else to go with the story because i don't have that information on my own
0: well the other thing too is and and yeah, I, I don't think it's that hard to potentially read the writing on the wall. I mean, the New England Patriots, with all those trophies, are eliminated from the playoffs with a month to play. Not great. I don't. It, it's not hard to piece that together. But this is also considering the names involved and the relationships involved. Even if this is true, which I, I agree with you, I'm not. I'm not doubting it. Uh, but even if it's true, I don't really see the benefit to dragging that into the public sphere. Like I, I think Robert Kraft. Unless even-
1: unless Belichick wanted some like, and this is like literally the 180 degrees from the Belichick way. Unless he wanted some farewell tour and he wanted the Patriots fans to give him that round of applause. And like, I, other than that, I don't think this, I mean, the way I would imagine it, if Bill's leaving or I don't think he's gonna be fired, but if Bill's leaving and is deciding to step away, like the way I see it, I think it's like, you know, on a random Monday morning and it's after the season. And it's like, you know, with, with a quick statement at the podium and a thank you for all that. I don't think he's looking for the, you know, who who, will name the major league. I mean, I remember when Derek Jeter retired and they, you know, every stadium gave him, uh, you know, a gift on the way out. I don't think it's going to be that.
0: Yeah. Even, even when our mutual buddy, Sean Payton stepped away in new Orleans, you know, that was, that was a very, it was a touching day. He, I mean, he must've talked to the new Orleans media for an hour about, the good times and the early teams like it's hard to even imagine bill belichick doing that with everything we know about him
1: yeah no i it's not in his character to do that no so we'll see i look this is one of those deals where as a reporter i would love to tell you i got a scoop and heres i know a lot of the people in that building and i've been talking to them for weeks and i don't have that information on my own but if tom's reporting it, it smells smells like that's a pretty good reporter to me
0: yeah like i said i think uh I think you can you can read you can read the writing on the wall but in in this instance it's it's not something that i'm desperate to know ahead of time i think (laughs) that'll 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 take care of itself like i i look at the record i look at the situation i'm like yeah that makes sense but it's also
1: can i ask you a a sports tv question of course how crazy is it right now that they decided to flex out of chiefs patriots with Belichick going up against Mahomes, they had that on a Monday night. They flexed out of that, put that at one p.m. in the window, and Seahawks Eagles with the Eagles coming off two losses and the Seahawks coming off five or four losses, like it's right. it, it, it just shows like this flex scheduling. We think we get so cute with it, like just just hang tight, you know. We don't know anything three weeks in advance. I just remember, and you know, even you would think, even
0: with the season that they're having the patriots are still a draw especially with the you know, the uncertainty and the oh my god like but this could be belichick's last season it's i just i remember in and and from my own experience like it takes a lot and i found this out it takes a lot to move the cowboys out of a big time window and in 2020 you know Dak is hurt the team is terrible everybody's just trying to get through this thing And they flexed, I think they flexed a Cowboys 49ers game, like out of a bigger window. And even as terrible, like the vibes in the building that week were so bad. You know, like it's what, like Jerry Jones has thick skin and can put up with a lot. But when the Cowboys get flexed out of a big time window, like that is, that is troubling.
1: Real quick, you know, you've got this now horrendous Thursday night game, Chargers, Raiders. I don't know anyone who's going to watch that. That's fine, whatever. But before the season started, they made big news that Amazon has the ability to flex now these Thursday night games. And everybody to a man looked at the schedule and circled Saints, Rams, and said, Rams are going to be the worst team in football. And, you know, either the Saints are already going to have whatever it is, that's the one that'll be flexed, if any you you get to the, sure enough both teams are very much in playoff contention playoff aspirations galore. And the Rams are one of the most entertaining teams in football and the Saints no matter what version we get of them they're always going to be in that 6 or 7 7 or 6 spot come week 14 which is yes. like where they live. Um and here we are.
0: I agree with you. I really I mean, it's not a Fox game, so I can say this. I hope nobody. I hope you have something better going on than the Chargers Raiders game. Like, is that in season season
1: tournament going on?
0: Yeah, exactly. But okay. But the reason the reason that this is especially heinous is obviously that Justin Herbert is now done for the season. I know. I mean, I this is this is the one thing that is not the Chargers' fault, but. You know, you talk about writing on the wall. As far as like disappointments and bad vibes go, the Chargers feel like they're at the top of the list with just a few games left to play.
1: Yeah, that was that was crushing. That was crushing. You know, they they win the game six nothing in New England, and you're like, oh my god, like what? You're Justin Herbert. I know you won, but like, and then the following week they follow it up with with obviously. Uh, not an ideal performance, and you see Sean Payton's boys come in there and and you know take the top off and all that. Uh, Easton Stick, I will say this. I you know I talked a lot about Jake Browning over the last few weeks. Browning has been in the NFL since 2019 it's bounced around from Minnesota to Cincinnati practice squads, all this stuff like Easton sticks, not a rookie. We've, we've learned from Josh Dobbs and from Jake Browning and, you know, the amount of million of case studies of guys that have been third string, second string, and just have waited for an opportunity. The only reason we haven't seen Easton stick is because Justin Herbert is invincible and never gets hurt. So I would say this before you just write off Easton stick, there's a reason the chargers have him on the roster every year. He's been, in the league forever it seems like at least four or five years um he might be able to sling it a little bit too something
0: to watch for if uh, hopefully ca- stick talk catch it catch it in passing at your christmas party you know something all right that does okay that that one last thing before i let you go and yeah. that's just you you we're talking about the chargers they just lost to the broncos i i would i'm dying for a check-in with your preseason playoff team about denver because I was literally just arguing with one of my producers who is a Denver fan. I have the Broncos seventh in my power rankings. And yet I wouldn't call this team an enjoyable watch, but here they are in mid December having won six of seven. You picked them to go to the playoffs, but I mean, what do you, what do you make of these guys and where this might be going?
1: You know, the biggest play in that game was not that Cortland Sutton which was awesome with the best perseverance. It was 10-0, Chargers are moving the ball a little bit, and they decide in Broncos territory to go for it on fourth and one. And there's Vance Joseph's defense and Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton just swallowing up the ball carrier and stuffing them. The defense is good. So they're not one of these shootout teams. They're one of these teams that are going to beat you 24-23, 23-20. Those scores... They go into Detroit, and I think it's a huge game for both teams, as we know. I'll just say this. 25 years ago, Dan Campbell was a tight end on the Cowboys, and Sean Payton was the offensive coordinator. 25 years ago, Aaron Glenn was a defensive back on the Cowboys. Sean Payton was the coach. Dan Campbell, going back to the Giants, to the Cowboys, to when he was a Saints coach, has always, always been a mentee of Sean Payton. We've had a lot of examples of Bill Belichick mentees kicking Bill Belichick's asses in games. So I don't think it's like a direct correlation that, Hey, just because that's the student and that's the mentor, like the students always going to lose I, I, Sean Payton, ain't going to be seeing anything he's never seen before from Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn. That's all I'll say as they go into Detroit on Saturday night.
0: It's going to be a hell of a matchup. Yeah. Thursday night football. Not so great. Really looking forward to all of the matchups really that are coming on Saturday. Peter, I appreciate the time, man. I know it's a hectic time of year, but love these chats and I will uh, I'll catch up with you soon, all right? Appreciate you, Dave. Thanks as always to Peter for the time. I really appreciate it. All right, let's get into the news coming out of the NFL's winter meetings in Dallas on Wednesday. It seems like they do this two or three times a year. Leave it to the NFL to create front page news about the future during the middle of the home stretch of their season. I love it. Always something to talk about with this league. Several interesting tidbits coming out of Dallas. None more interesting than the expansion of the league's international series. Specifically, starting in 2024, the NFL announces they will be moving international games to Brazil. Specifically, the city of Sao Paulo. They will be playing a regular season game at Corinthians Arena in Sao Paulo next season really really exciting stuff and then in addition clearly the the intrigue the demand the attention being paid to NFL football overseas only getting bigger the league also announces that starting in 2025 they will jump to eight international games they're at 4 right now this is this it's gotten bigger every year since i remember them doing this i remember it used to just be one game a year in london then you're up to 2 or 3 right now we're playing 4 now we're up to 8 i don't see i don't see this going back the other way clearly the interest is is undeniable the league mentioned the the amount of research they've done into brazil as a market the amount of demand for for the nfl's product in south america and in addition the league is already talking about other markets that it's toying with they're not ruling out the possibility of playing a game in spain with an eye on Madrid specifically. How cool would that be for any of my soccer fans out there? NFL football being played at the iconic home ground of Real Madrid, the Santiago Bernabeu. I, not not official yet, but something that the league is mentioning. And clearly, you can see it heading in that direction. It's act, It's interesting to me because the NFL actually has a storied history of playing overseas going back a century, but it was always exhibitions. To this point, it's only been four, reg- four countries that have hosted regular season games, United Kingdom, Canada, Mexico, and very recently Germany. The league started doing that in 2022. They did it again this year. Again, I would imagine that's going to continue. Seems like it's a success every single year. They've gotten bigger and better teams to go on these trips. The Chiefs played the Miami Dolphins in Germany this season. Sounds like it'll be The same case in Brazil, and and eventually, I would imagine, other places as well. Really interesting, exciting stuff. I just, hey, NFL on Fox podcast, powers that be. When it comes time to play in Brazil and maybe anywhere else, maybe we do a remote show. I'm just saying, something to consider. All right, more news coming out of the winter meetings. League also officially announces Super Bowl 61 will be held right here in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. Can't say that's surprising. Went off well a few years ago when the Rams defeated the Bengals. SoFi Stadium is is the biggest, newest, most prominent stadium in the league right now. 2027 is, is when that game will be played. So if you're keeping score, we now know the location of the next four Super Bowls. Super Bowl 58, obviously in two months in Las Vegas. Super Bowl 59 will be in New Orleans. Super Bowl 60 up in the Bay at Levi's Stadium and now Super Bowl 61 right down the street here at SoFi. Talk about a crazy run for LA sports. They get the World Cup in 2026. A few months after that, you host the Super Bowl at the beginning of 2027, and that makes way for the Summer Olympics in 2028. LA is the place to be for sports starting very, very soon. few more tidbits coming out of the winter meetings I want to hit on. Sounds like nothing official. Let's not overreact too much. But typically, when the league talks about things they're going to look at, it's a good indicator that something's about to happen. And NFL Executive Vice President Troy Vincent talked about a number of potential changes to NFL rules, competition committee, the guys that make those types of decisions. For starters, doesn't sound like the brotherly shove is going anywhere. The NFL has been very sure to come out and say, the report that Roger Goodell wanted to ban the brotherly shove is false. I think I've heard three different people say that since that report came out. Troy Vincent said today, they don't have any notable injury data that suggests that it's a dangerous play. He also points out that the play has evolved over the months, weeks, whatever, that it's that it's been On display, you've got teams passing out of that formation. You've got teams running into rounds, misdirection. So it's different than just a pure quarterback sneak. And on top of that, he was sure to point out that the Eagles do it way better than everybody else. So Troy Vincent basically saying, everybody else doesn't do this as well as Philly. We don't want to penalize the Eagles for being good at something. I say bravo. I say it fosters competition. And in a weird way, I think it's good for football. It is a football play. I'm glad to hear. Doesn't sound like it's going anywhere. One more thing that Troy Vincent said Wednesday that raised a lot of eyebrows around the NFL sounds like the league is going to review the rule that stipulates that an offensive fumble through the end zone is a turnover. You know, we only see this uh, one or two times per season. It doesn't happen often, but it is always incredibly divisive. If a team is reaching for the pylon, reaching for the goal line, and they fumble out of the end zone. It is a turnover. The defense takes over on offense after a touchback. It's an incredibly harsh penalty. Like I said, maybe happens a handful of times per season, but there is always a heated conversation about it when it does happen. Lots and lots of people think it's far too harsh of a penalty for an offense that had been good enough to get to the goal line. I'm interested to see where it goes. It's weird. I've always thought it was a really silly rule, but now that we're faced with the thought of it going away, I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. Is it really a big enough deal that we need to take it off the board? Not my call. We'll see what the league decides. I will say typically when the league says they want to look at something, it sort of feels like they've already made up their mind and they're just going to go through the due process, but I could be wrong. Keep an eye on the NFL Combine in February and March. That's when a lot of that stuff gets decided. Maybe there will be a secondary vote later in the year. But I wouldn't be surprised if that goes away, which what will we argue about on Twitter if that's the case? All right, one last thing I wanted to hit in the news section. It is pertaining to this season, and I, and I just want to shout out a brutal series of blows for the Cleveland Browns. It's already been a rough season in Cleveland from an injury perspective when you remember they've, gone through four quarterbacks this year that in itself is crazy enough but the hits keep coming just a few days after the browns signed safety grant delpit to a three-year 36 million extension they sign. uh they announced that the groin injury he suffered the other day it's going to land him on ir he's out for the rest of the regular season they hope he can come back for the playoffs if they get that far but grant delpit They paid him for a reason. He was playing at a Pro Bowl level, led the team with 80 tackles, had seven tackles for loss to go with that. So that's a big, big loss for a team that has had a lot of them. We'll see if he makes it back in time for the playoffs. Doesn't sound as optimistic for pass rusher Oboe Okrawankwo. He is out with a torn pec. He's out for the regular season. Maybe a slim chance he comes back for the playoffs as well, but it sounds a lot less likely in his case. The Browns brought him in. In the offseason to complement Miles Garrett, he was doing a great job. He was second on the team in sacks with four and a half. Another huge loss for that defense. And if that wasn't enough, defensive tackle Maurice Hurst has a torn pec as well. He is out for the year two. Left tackle Jedrick Wills has been hurt for a while, but he underwent season ending surgery this week. So your left tackle is out with a knee injury. Have I mentioned rookie right tackle Dewan Jones? He stepped in because of injury early in the season. He is also out for the year with a knee injury. By the way, the guy that Dewan Jones replaced, Jack Conklin, he's basically been out all season. So left tackle one, right tackle one, now right tackle two. I mentioned the quarterbacks. Let's just throw in Nick Chubb for good measure. This whole team's a mash unit. If the Cleveland Browns get to the playoffs with everything I just said, A, it's going to be one of the most impressive things that happened this season. And B, I talked about Kevin Stefanski as a coach of the year candidate earlier this week. If they pull this off and get there, and it looks like they will, sitting in the fifth seed right now, hell of an accomplishment worthy of NFL coach of the year consideration. I do not know how Cleveland is going to manage these injuries because there's a hell of a lot of them. All right, we've stalled long enough. Let's get into it. Thursday night football: Chargers at Raiders. Peter and I talked about it earlier on the show. Maybe, maybe not the juiciest matchup of the season, but you know what? I'll I'll say this: the NFL proves all the time that the matchup doesn't have to be great on paper to be truly memorable. I mean, we just saw that play out on Monday night. Nobody went into that doubleheader: Titans, Dolphins, Packers, Giants, thinking anything great was going to happen and two phenomenal football games that came down to the wire, two games that in the future, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that that was the night Tommy DeVito led the Giants back. That was the night Mike Vrabel pulled that crazy comeback with a rookie quarterback. It a, a year ago, a year and a week ago proves my point. Thursday night football involving these same Raiders. Baker Mayfield led the L.A. Rams 98 yards his fourth day on the team, they go down and take the lead in a game that looked like garbage on paper. And, and I will remember it moving forward. So just cause the game looks really bad ahead of time, doesn't mean it will be now. Having said all of that, don't, I don't know. Don't build your Thursday night around this game. You know, maybe take care of the Christmas shopping, spend time with friends and family. If there's a Christmas party, maybe go to that, like maybe have it on in the background, this doesn't need to be the game that you settle in for, you know? Maybe yeah, drop in on on family and be like, "No, you're just on my mind. It's not that the game sucked. I just wanted to be a good family member." Whatever. You get the point. Justin Herbert's out with a broken finger. He gives way to Easton Stick for this game. Keenan Allen, who is quietly having the best season of an incredible career, he is out as well, ruled out on Wednesday with a heel injury. The most intriguing thing about the Chargers right now is that this game will decide whether or not they are in last place in the AFC West. And that does carry weight when you consider the expectations. Chargers got to the playoffs last year. They collapsed epically, gave away a big lead in the second half. They paid Justin Herbert. The whole narrative and momentum for the Chargers has been they got to rectify that. They've got to build on getting to the postseason. And if they find a way to lose... the las vegas raiders they will be in the cellar of their division so the storyline becomes does brandon staley keep his job has he potentially already lost his job i mean this is in my opinion this is one of the most disappointing teams in the nfl relative to quarterback relative to talent all of that stuff and i'm not i'm not here to call for anybody's job but that's just the reality of the situation if you fall into fourth place in the division without your quarterback, that's where the conversation goes. And Justin Herbert will be back eventually. Obviously, he'll be back in 2024. This is a really appealing job. This might be the most appealing job that comes open in 2024. So lose this game. That's what we spend the rest of the season talking about, in my opinion. For the Raiders, I think you're seeing the really fascinating tug of war that happens in the NFL. There's various agendas on any football team. Those of us on the outside, Raider fans, media sitting here saying they're playing out the string on a lost season. They're below 500. They already fired their head coach. They don't know where they're going at quarterback. Let's play out the string. Let's hope for as good of a draft pick as possible. But the thing that gets lost in that, A, you got a locker room full of hyper competitive alphas who hate losing, who hate being embarrassed. And at the end of the day, they're going to go out and and try to put good things on tape and, and have a good reputation and win football games. And on top of that, Antonio Pierce, the interim head coach, he's coaching for, if not this job, then another job. I mean, yeah, it sounds great to say lose out and get the best draft pick possible. That doesn't help Antonio Pierce or any of the coaches on his staff that are fighting for their jobs, not to mention players that are fighting for other contracts. He needs wins. He needs good performances. No matter how counterintuitive that might feel for a team that's sitting sixth in the draft order, that's that's the delicate balance. And I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. And that's how you wind up with this storyline where as of recording right now, we don't know who the Raiders are going to start at quarterback. Aiden O'Connell, the rookie draft pick, took over for Jimmy Garoppolo when McDaniels got fired, had a couple nice performances got badly flustered by Brian Flores and the, and the Vikings defense the other day. That's why the Raiders didn't score any points. But what do you do here? I get the appeal of Jimmy Garoppolo because he's a veteran who's seen more football, who's a little bit more confident, a little bit more experienced, who might give you a better chance to win this game. But in the big picture, the Raiders are a bad team that could benefit from, A, getting a rookie quarterback playing time, and B improving their draft stock. So I called it a tug of war. It's curious it's it's very interesting to me to see who wins out. The the big picture of the organization or the very immediate picture of Antonio Pierce and his guys wanting to win football games. If I were if I were Mark Davis, I would step in and say, "Hey, start the rookie, man. We need to see what this kid can do and no offense to you, I'd way rather pick 5th or 6th then 10th or 12th. That's just good business. We'll see what happens. If you are still undeterred, if you're a true sicko looking for something to watch, my matchup to watch in this game, that would be Raiders defensive end Max Crosby going against Chargers right tackle Trey Pipkins. Max Crosby, I feel like he's fallen out of the spotlight because the Raiders are having a bad season. Absolutely should be in the mix for defensive player of the year. Guy is continuing to have an amazing season and he's quietly been doing it the last few weeks with a pretty gnarly knee injury fighting through that knee. It's technically not a certainty to play. So check in on that as he fights through that knee injury. I'm going to guess a guy as tough as him does play though, seeing as how he's been racking up stats one legged for the last two or three weeks. He's got four sacks in his last three games. He had two last week against Minnesota. Just a a force of nature on this Raiders defense. Sitting at 13 and a half sacks, which is a career high. Still four games to play. So he's got a career high. He only needs three more to set the Raiders single season sack record. That was set by Derek Burgess back in 2005. So Max Crosby, not too far away from Raiders history. And it's a favorable matchup for him. Trey Pipkin's. Allow has allowed nine sacks, seven quarterback hits, 45 pressures, 29 quarterback hurries this season. Hasn't been great over on that right side, which is where Max Crosby likes to line up. Pipkin's pass-blocking grade is ranked 136th out of NFL tackles this season, according to PFF. I think this is a chance for Max Crosby to make some hay, and given Easton Stick is back there and not Justin Herbert, A, I think you could see Max Crosby set the franchise record as early as tonight. I think it'll also have a huge impact on the Chargers offense. And for that reason, I will take the Raiders to win. I'm not saying I feel good about it. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty. Shoot, the Raiders just lost a three-nothing game the other day. For that matter, the Chargers just won a six-nothing game a week and a half ago. What's the encore here? Let's say 12 to 7 Raiders in a game that I'm more than happy to uh, catch up on after the fact. That does it for our show. I really appreciate it, y'all. We will be back, as we always are, on Friday for our Week 15 preview, and it is a doozy. Maybe you haven't heard. The Cowboys are going up to Buffalo to face the Bills. We're going to talk to Greg Olson about that couple big playoff implication matchups in the NFC South. We'll get to those as well. Got the Eagles and the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Big AFC matchup between the Jags and the Ravens on Sunday night. Plenty to get to. We will make sure to cover it all next time we see you. Until then, please go subscribe on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts. We got a YouTube channel if you want to subscribe to that. Wherever you get your NFL news, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us.
1: I'm Dave. I really appreciate it. I will catch you all next time.